Some of you this morning came here in a hole. It was a perfect description of your life, where you are. You feel like you're stuck in a hole. Now, it may be true that some other people helped dig that hole for you. But if you're honest with yourself, you know that you've thrown a shovel full of dirt too. And part of the reason you're there is because of decisions that you've made, choices that you've made that have put you in that hole. Maybe that's not the analogy that fits your life best. Maybe the analogy that fits your life best is that you are on a hamster wheel. And you're just running and going as hard as you can, but you really, the scenery never seems to change. You never really seem to get anywhere. You just keep going round and round and round and getting more and more tired without ever getting any place. Maybe a better analogy for you is juggling. I've never been able to do that. There's some people that do it pretty well. The object is to keep all the balls in the air without any hitting the floor. If you've ever seen one of these jugglers, sometimes people will toss more balls at him or her to see if they can keep juggling so they can literally have many, many, many balls up in the air, not just, well, I can only use one, but not just three, but just a bunch of balls in the air. And, and maybe you go, you know what, that describes my life. I, I feel like I'm trying to keep everything up in the air. And it's, it, it can all fall apart at any minute. But people keep tossing new balls in. And I have to figure out a way to juggle those. And, and sometimes they don't throw a ball. They throw a bowling pin. And at other times they throw a, a chainsaw. And I've got to keep it all up in the air. And I'm, I'm just afraid that one day I, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. And it's all going to come crashing down. Maybe a picture for your life is more like quicksand. The harder you work, the more you strive, the deeper you feel like you're sinking. You really don't feel like there's any hope, any way out, no escape. Some of you came here stuck. We got our first computer, uh, an IBM computer, a long time ago in the Stone Ages, before hard drives. Thing was awfully expensive, but I was starting seminary and I needed something, so we got that computer. Now, gaming on a computer has never been a big thing, but we always had two or three games, and some of them would come on the computer. And, and one of the games that came on there was uh, kind of a variation of uh, the old arcade game Dig Dug. It's basically a character that digs holes in the dirt and he's being chased by other things and you're just, you know, the, the object is to try to get out, you know, and kill all the things that are chasing you and all that. Well, I was playing this game on the computer. I hadn't played it very often, but it, you know, it was entertaining. I mean, back then, that was pretty high class, just, you know, something going like this. That was a big deal. And for whatever reason, I decided I, I wanted to quit playing before I had either won or lost. Now, typically, if you're in the middle of a game on the computer and you want to, to, to stop it for right then, what button do you hit? The escape key. You hit the escape key. And so I did exactly that. I hit the escape key. And a message came up that said, there is no escape. Well, who thought of that? 
But some of you have been trying awfully hard over the course of these last few days, weeks, and months to hit the escape key. And the message you keep getting is there is no escape. I'm here to tell you, folks, there's hope. Some of you are stuck and you don't know that there's hope. You don't feel that there's hope, but there is hope. Now, we're good at getting stuck. Sometimes we get stuck in relationships. <laughs> no, husbands, wives, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about relationships with people in our lives who really aren't good for us. Maybe they're friendships, maybe they're business partners, and we've got them in our lives and we know they're not good for us, but we don't seem to be able to shake them. We don't seem to be able to get rid of them. We're, we're in these relationships, and, and, and we'd like to get out, but then again, who's going to be our friend? Who are we going to hang around with? I mean, they're not good, but these over here could be worse. And so you're stuck in those relationships. Some of you are stuck in, in habits. Now, we, we've got our Celebrate Recovery ministry going on, and and a lot of people who come there are struggling with issues like addictions to, to drugs and alcohol. And, uh, but you'll find out it's true in, in the Celebrate Recovery Ministries all across the United States that that is actually a, just a small percentage of the people who actually come to Celebrate Recovery. Many of them come for other kinds of habits that have got a hold of their lives, like Internet pornography or overeating. We have these habits in our lives that tend to trip us up, and we feel stuck. We want to change, but we don't know how to change. We haven't found the, the right escape key yet. Some of us are stuck in our grief, grief over people we've lost, grief, grief over opportunities we've lost, grief over things that we've lost. One of the saddest things I had in, the, in my first church was an elderly lady. She and her husband, uh, he had retired, and, and they were just going to enjoy their retirement together. And she sent him to the grocery store. And the new, it used to be you couldn't turn right on red, and it was passed. It was a new law. And the car in front of him at a traffic light turned right on red. He made an assumption. The light was green. He didn't look. Pulled out in front of a transfer truck. Killed him instantly. For the next five years, this woman was stuck in grief. She didn't see any hope of escape. You can get stuck in a lot of things. Some people are stuck in their work. I didn't say stuck at work. Work's a necessity in life. But some people are stuck in work. It becomes their life. They never leave it. It never leaves them. I guess that's one of the bad things about cell phones and laptops. It's you really have to make a conscious decision to get away from work. And can I make a confession to you as a pastor? It's a hard thing for me not to be in my work. Now, you say, well, yours is a calling. You're not, not supposed to stop being a pastor. And that's true. I, I never stopped being a pastor. But at some point, you've got to turn the switch off. 
At some point, you've got to hit the pause button and say, you know what, now I'm a dad. Now I'm a husband. Now I'm a friend. Now I'm just a regular human being. As a matter of fact, I even joke sometimes I'll, I'll go and you'll invite me to come eat. And it's always, it's interesting, isn't it? When, when the pastor shows up somewhere in a group to eat, they always point to the pastor and say, would you, would you pray? Now, not every group does that, but a lot of them point to the pastor and say, would you pray? And sometimes I joke, you know, I can't, I'm off the clock. <laughs> but there are times in your work you need to be off the clock. It becomes a, 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 you get stuck in it. You just never leave it. What we want to consider this morning is, is how do we get unstuck? If we're stuck, how do we get unstuck? And we actually began this two weeks ago talking about this very thing. And so let's review what we talked about the last two weeks. Our big point the first week was that we need to realize that we're not God. That's the big first thing. We've got to realize we're not God. Now, that should be a no-brainer for most of us, but we end up spending a lot of our time playing God, acting as if we are in control, and we, we do have this. We've got control of it. We've got enough wisdom, enough energy, enough power to do this. But the first step, if you want to get unstuck, is to realize you're not God. The second step is earnestly believe that there is a power to get you unstuck. There is a power greater than yourself who can change you and change your circumstances. There is that power. Now we're ready to take the next step on our road to hope. And that step is this. I consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Let me break that down for you really quickly. To consciously choose means that I have a choice. I can do either A or B or C or D, but I am going to make a conscious choice. So that's the first part of it. It is a conscious decision. It is a decision to choose. I can go this way. I can go this way. I'm going to make a conscious choice, and that choice is to commit all my life and my will. Now, we go, okay, I can commit my life. Boy, that is so broad and so vague that I can say that and feel pretty good about it. But when it comes to my will, that means my decisions. That means all my decisions are subject to the will of God. That gets a little more challenging, doesn't it? We can say the big, broad, general things, I surrender all. But then when we go, okay, I surrender my will, now it's another story. What are we surrendering our will to? To Christ's care, we like that. Jesus cares about me. He knows how many hairs are on my head. He even knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, he cares for me. Okay, I can buy into that. But I'm also committing all my life and all my will to Christ's control. I'm no longer Lord. I'm no longer king. I'm admitting that I am not in control. This step is based on Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 
through 30, which says, Come to me, all, all you who are weary, burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me. That is Jesus' invitation for you this morning to get unstuck. That's his invitation for you this morning to get unstuck. And and what a deal that is. Why would anybody turn this down? Why would anybody walk out and go, nah, I don't think I want to go for that? What Jesus is saying is, you come to me all bent over, burdened down, weighted by your worries and your anxieties and the challenges of your life, weighted down by your past. You come to me weighted with all that junk. You lay it down and you pick up my yoke, which is easy and light. Why is, first of all, uh, some of you are going yoke. Why is Jesus talking about eggs? Ah, that's because you weren't raised on a farm. You haven't seen what a yoke is. A yoke, basically, there are a number of types of yokes, and we won't go into all of them, and I don't have a display for you, but basically the type of yoke that Jesus would be talking about would yoke two oxen or two donkeys or two animals of some sort would yoke two together. So there's this harness typically made of of wood that will be put on both of them so that they could share the load. Whereas for one ox, for, for one horse, for one donkey, the weight would be too much. But when they share the load, It becomes easy and light. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. But here's the problem when you're yoked to Jesus. You don't get to pick which way to go. You're not in control. And so we read that and we go, oh, that sounds good until I start thinking about the specifics of it. And so what we're talking about is, okay, I can lay down this burden. That sounds really good. And Jesus' burden, is, his yoke is, is easy and light. I can take up that burden. But if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to be yoking myself together with Jesus. And I'm relinquishing control of my life. Still a good deal. But we need to understand the implications. Now, why is it that you would refuse and walk away from a deal like this? I'm going to suggest a few reasons. And the first one is pride. Pride is the first reason. And that is, I can do this myself. I've got it. I can handle this. I'm in control. I've got enough power, enough energy, enough wisdom, enough knowledge... I can do this. I really don't need anybody to come alongside me and to help me with this. And, and we understand that if we've already embraced the first two steps on the road to recovery, that is, I'm not God and there's a power that can do what I can't do. If we've embraced those, we, we already are here where we understand that pride is not, 
I, I can't do this. And yet we want to do it. For those of you with children, do you remember the first time your child said, no, I can do it? It didn't matter what it was. didn't matter whether they could do it or not. But they were exerting their influence. They were exerting their independence to say, I can do it. I can do it. When they couldn't do it. A lot of times we do the same thing with God. God, I can do it. I don't need you to come and, and butt into this. I can manage my own life. Well, how's that working out for you? The second reason that we might not lay down our burden and take what Jesus has to offer is because of guilt. And we say, I don't deserve it. Pastor, if you just knew my life, if you knew some of the decisions that I've made, if you knew some of the people I've hurt, why would Jesus even want to hook up with me? No. I, just, I can't take it. I, I'm just not worthy of it. Well, here's the truth, the gospel truth. None of us are. All of our sin disqualifies us for fellowship with God, and yet he chose to establish fellowship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. A third reason we may not take up, uh, lay down our burden and take up that of the yoke of Jesus is fear. What are we afraid of? Well, what we're afraid of is change. It's interesting, this is the first church that I have ever been a part of and likely that you have been a part of that change was actually written into the core values statement. One of our core values of a church is that all healthy things grow and all growth involves change. All healthy things grow and all growth involves change. Now, change can be tough in a church, Really hard in a church. I remember the story of uh, a, a guy who was, was getting, uh, getting on up there in years. He was celebrating his 90-something birthday. And he had been in that church ever since. Some of you understand the term cradle roll. Since the first Sunday, his mama and daddy brought him and he was put in the nursery. He'd been in that church. And so every, you know, all his 95 or whatever years, he'd been in that church. He joined, he'd been a member over 80 years in that church. And he was having a birthday and all, it was a big deal. And, and everybody was gathered around. They had a big fellowship after a service. And, and there were some people who just joined a little more recently. And uh, one of the couples that came up and said, hi, we're so-and-so, and we're so happy to meet you, and congratulations on your birthday, and you've been in this church for a long, long time. And then he asked the question. He said, I bet you've seen a lot of changes in this church while you've been around, haven't you? And the old man looked at him and he said, yeah, I have. And I've been opposed to every one of them. <laughs> change can be hard to church. And yet it's necessary if we're to continue to grow. Message never changes. Methods might. Message never changes. Change is hard in life, too. You know, I look at where I am, and I'm not real happy with it. But it could be worse. If I make this choice, what's out there? It's like a child being afraid of the dark. 
It's not the dark the child is afraid of. It's the unknown in the dark. And I think that's the root of a lot of our fear when it comes to to making any kind of a, a change of choosing to follow Jesus. We don't actually know everything that's out there. In our Bible study lesson this morning, God spoke to Abram and said, Hey, Abram, I want you to leave everything that you know, everything that's comfortable. I want you to leave your inheritance. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to go to a land and I'll show you. He didn't say, here's the map. He didn't say, look, look, here's a nice brochure of where I'd like you to go. Isn't that a nice place? He just said, I want you to leave everything that you have based on my promise that there's something better. And I think that's a lot of reasons why we don't make a change. We're afraid if I choose to follow Jesus, he may send me to Bora Bora. If I choose to follow Jesus, I may have to go and apologize to my brother. If I choose to follow Jesus, he might want me to change something in my life. Well, you've done it your way. How's it working for you? When you take this step and you choose to follow Jesus and you choose to surrender all and you choose to lay down your burden and take up his yoke, then what you're doing is allowing Jesus to be who he is and that is Lord. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to take this bundle that you give him. He wants to sort through it. He wants to add new meaning to your life, new significance to your life, new vitality to your life, and then give you your life back. Or as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's precisely what God wants to do in your life. But you've got to be willing to get beyond the fear to make a choice. The fourth reason that we don't lay down our burden and accept Jesus' yoke is is worry. It's the big what if. What if? That keeps us stuck a lot. What if? Nancy and I have had to ask that question quite a few times as we have been in the ministry? What if we go to Greensboro? What if we start a new church? What if it's different than any other church we've been a part of? What if people don't come? What if people don't give? What if people are disappointed in their leadership? We don't get this much around here, but if you go to Atlanta, and I wouldn't highly recommend it, sometimes you have to go. You'll notice this on traffic lights, maybe in Athens, that you come up to a light and it turns green, and you go a little ways and you have to stop again. But if you sat there and waited till every light turned green to go, you'd never move. And some of you are waiting in your life for every light to turn green before you go. When God has asked you to take one step, make one move, 
and then wait for him to guide the rest of the way. You go, okay, pastor, let's, let's say I do this. You're talking about giving my life to Christ, surrendering my life to Christ, be following Jesus Christ, becoming a Christian. Because that's what a follower of Christ is. What if I mess up? What if I'm not good enough? What if I take this salvation that God has for me and I lose it like I do my keys sometimes? Or I get it dirty? What if I can't keep it? Good news is it's not your job. God's word tells us in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said, listen, you're in my hand. I've got you. Philippians 1.6 assures us, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't recommend tattoos, but if you want something tattooed on your body, so as a reminder, that wouldn't be bad. Maybe it's just better to put it a post-it note on your bathroom mirror. A little less permanent, you can always change it out and move it around. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. But that will hold us back, our, our worry. A, 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 fifth one is, a fifth reason is doubt. Doubt's normal, but it doesn't have to be fatal. Faith, you see, begins small. It begins with a small step. But as we see God's faithfulness, our, our faith grows. But a lot of people are worried about the size of their faith. I want to tell you, it's not the size of your faith that matters, but the size of the God in whom you put your faith that really matters. In other words, you can have an enormous faith, but if you put it in the wrong thing, it's empty. Or you could have, as Jesus said, faith the size of a mustard seed. And it's more than enough because you placed it in a real God. Those are some of the reasons, some of the reasons that you might not choose to surrender your life to Jesus, to surrender your all to Jesus. But if you're ready, how do you take that step? I'd like to lead you through it this morning. First, you accept God's Son as your Savior. That's where it begins. You accept God's Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you might be saved. Wait, that's not what it says. It says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Well, now that's different. You see... There's a confidence that we have, an assurance that we have, not in that we're good enough to earn it, but that God is good to his word, that God is faithful, that if we truly believe in Jesus Christ, then we will be saved. But we have to take that small step of faith. We have to begin the journey. Next, accept God's word as your standard for living. 
We often wonder why life doesn't come with an instruction manual, but it does. God has already given it to us. It's called the Bible. If we want to know what God's will is for us, we don't have to guess. He's written it down for us. And we can have confidence in it. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You need to read it, understand it. Some of you say, well, I'm not good at that. Let me tell you, you don't have to go in and consume massive quantities of Scripture. You need to start where you are, what you can grasp, get a little bit. You go, well, yeah, I, it's just it's hard for me to do that. I have, um, well, it's down there. I have on my phone a, an application on my phone that will actually read the Bible to me. I was out there doing yard work yesterday with my little earbuds in, letting Scripture just read to me. I didn't have to turn a page. It just kept on going until I told it, okay, that's enough. We, there are all kinds of ways that we can get Scripture into ourselves. And when we don't, we're just starving ourselves and starving our faith. We, we need to feed ourselves spiritually. Next, accept God's will as your purpose in life. One of the best questions that you can start your day with is this. God, what do you want me to do today? God, what do you want me to do today? Instead of, okay, God, I've got it all figured out. Come on. We start by saying, okay, God, this is your day. This is the day that you've made. What do you want me to do in this day? Seek his truth, seek his will, and trust his purpose for your life. David wrote this, I delight to do your will, oh my God. I am not always there. There are days that I am not delighting to do God's will. And so I make one of two choices. I do it anyway. Or I choose not to do it. And choose something that I delight in more. Well, that's not a good choice. What I want instead is to be go on this process as I'm walking along this journey toward what God has for me. He changes my heart. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart, which doesn't just mean that He gives us the stuff we want. It means He gives us the actual desires themselves. He changes what we want. Some of you know that firsthand. You look back on your life and you know where you were and you knew the things that thrilled you and you knew the things that gave your life meaning and now you look back on those and go, they don't add anything to my life anymore. Now, when I serve God, when I live for God, when I worship God, it's that that gives my life meaning and purpose and value. It's completely changed. But you don't get there overnight. Probably the most important thing I can tell you is this. Following Jesus begins with a step of faith, but it is a lifelong process. It is a lifelong process. As Jesus chips away things in your life that don't belong there and brings into your life things that should be there, it's a process. You remember the old bumper sticker, be patient with me, God's not finished with me yet? That's true. 
Can I be honest with you? God's still got a lot of chipping to do on me. God's still got some things he wants to add to my life. He's not done with me. He's not done with you either. Probably our most senior member here is Charlie Marshall sitting back there. Charlie, God's not done with you either. He's not done with any of us. Doesn't matter how old we are, what experiences we've had, God still has more for us. And finally, you want to accept God's power as your strength. Philippians 4.13 tells us, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Where do you see that most? Probably on the back of T-shirts for high school basketball teams. I'm not. I'm not sure God cares who wins the high school basketball game. And I hope none of you brought your stones and rocks. I'm not real sure God cares who wins the Falcons game this afternoon. That's not what it means when it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It means everything that God has called me to do, every stand that God has called me to take, Every step that God has called me to make, I can do it because he gives me strength. It has nothing to do with a basketball game or a football game or a soccer match. It has everything to do with following him. And it's not more willpower that you need. It's a willingness to accept God's power, which can change your life. And that's why Paul could write, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so I ask you, have you had your way long enough? Have you been Lord of your life long enough? And I'll ask you again, how's it been working out for you? Are you stuck? Are you in a hole? Are you up to your eyeballs in quicksand? Are you exerting all your energy on a hamster wheel or trying to keep balls in the air? How's it working out for you? Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That invitation is open to you this morning.